Happy Thanksgiving, Stephen. Happy Thanksgiving, Erica. Canadian Thanksgiving, specifically. Or, or as we say in Canada, Thanksgiving. And in November, we say American Thanksgiving, or sometimes U.S. Thanksgiving in the late November. You're, there's a thing on the... Is there a hair on the mic? Yes. Yeah. There was. It's, I got it now. Maybe it's mine from when I had long hair, which I think... I don't remember the last time we recorded. It's Labor Day, wasn't it? I had shorter hair by then. I've had a haircut since... Anyway, air. <laughs> yep. Gets everywhere. Yes. Uh, so we have watched episode four yes. of The Time Monster. The Time, the time Monster, correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was going to say The Time Meddler. I was like, no, that's not right. That's a different story. No. Uh, in this episode, James Bond is mentioned. I have just today earlier seen the most recent James Bond film. Um, so it took me... A couple minutes to move from um, <laughs> new James Bond big budget adventure to studio based uh, 1972 BBC drama, but I think I got there in the end. <laughs> Good. I mean, this is really where you live, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was watching James Bond. I think if only it was in a multicam studio right now, this would be <laughs> really intriguing. But mm-hmm. alas. Uh, I, I did not go to the James Bond, no. so I didn't have to uh, adjust my thinking at all. I was able to just dive right into episode four of The Time Monster. And I keep waiting for this story to get really terrible. And it keeps disappointing me because this episode was perfectly fine. Really? I You were like scoffing at a couple things and I thought, oh, here we go. But no, I mean, there's I feel like there's scoff worthy things in every single uh, John Pertwee's story, right. basically. Like there's always going to be something uh, and not just the Pertwee stories mm-hmm. like classic doctor who has some scoffy moments um but for the most part like i like maybe it's just because my expectations are so very low <laughs> but i right. still thought this was entertaining and nobody did anything too ridiculous mm-hmm. and the dialogue for the most part was still like i love the doctor and joe scenes they're mm-hmm. just very good together oh i do think one of the things i scoffed at was the tardis interior which like i knew that this this had sort of a one-off interior Mm -hmm. and now that i've seen it i'm very glad it's a one-off because i think it's ugly i thought it actually looked cool when it was the master's tardis and then suddenly it's the doctor's tardis and i was like oh god that's ugly (laughs) it's an interesting choice to debut a new set for the tardis Mm -hmm. and have it for the masters instead first a mere like two minutes before the doctor actually goes into his i thought somehow for me it works aesthetically as a master tardis there's something about the, the the huge convex or sorry concave mm-hmm. surfaces of right. the roundels that I don't know are just they're very shiny and plasticky looking. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminded me of the inside of toilets a little bit. <laughs> Steven's laughing at me. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Like there's just something, and, and maybe it's simply because I saw it as the Master's Tardis first, mm-hmm. but like that shininess seemed kind of i don't know hard and sinister to me and when i saw it as the doctor's tardis it just immediately looked wrong there's there's just too i don't know it's too much it's not there's no real organic nature to it kind of yeah it just it feels it plastic 
Yeah. And uncomfortably different from what we're used to seeing the TARDIS Mm -hmm. look like. So I think that's why it worked as a master's TARDIS, because it's like it's the TARDIS, but it's a little bit different. So that's interesting to see another Time Lord. The inside of their TARDIS is similar, but with a with an uncomfortable twist. Mm -hmm. Um, I did really quite like the uh, I don't know chocolate fondue fountain that's in the middle of his TARDIS console. You just want to like get like a strawberry or something and dip that uh-huh. in there or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like a little bit of a marshmallow square or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so like that was, that was neat looking. And then I see it as the doctor's TARDIS and it just, it just didn't, didn't feel right to me. So I'm glad to know that this is not like the new TARDIS going forward for years and years and years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it um i don't know the full history of the props or the sets or anything like that i do know that the doors are the original doors you can tell because there's like a little bit of a gear on the bottom corner of it i think they last for i want to say season 18 the original tarnas doors but i think for the first time the walls are brand new uh, there's no more photographic backdrop for the Aww. first time. I know, I kind of miss that old sucker. Uh, and I think they must use the same, that little indented, like the master's door is different. It's yes. sort of like it sort of uh, recedes. And I think they actually use that as a way to get to the rest of the TARDIS in the early Tom Baker years. Spoiler alert for mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm always intrigued to see sets and how they get reused. Yeah, I really liked the door, the way that the master's TARDIS door Mm-hmm. Uh, worked because it was different like again it's very cool because it's like the TARDIS we expect but then it in some ways it's not so mm-hmm. it was it's I don't know I think it works great as the master's TARDIS I just don't particularly like it as the doctor's TARDIS yeah well you won't have to put up with it for very much longer <laughs> as we as we now know mm-hmm. so you didn't mind the um uh the laborious um feminist dialogue from Ruth and Stu and all that or just used to that now yeah well you know what I feel like and you know having sort of been there that there does come a, a time in the life of a an intelligent woman who is living with a, a crap ton of sexism mm-hmm. where you spend a lot of time just calling it out or really belaboring the stereotypes mm-hmm. of sexism that you live under right. and you know i i feel like that's a not uncommon thing to do. I've done it myself, you know, back in, in my earlier days, just pointing out, okay, well, you're supposed to be the strong guy and why are you not living up to what society says you're supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's maybe not the most elegant dialogue of, of all, but it seems to fit with the the way that these characters are portraying themselves. Like, it, it feels very much like a dude wrote it, um, but... <laughs> But I'm I'm okay with it. Like it's right. I'm, it, okay. it's never going to be, be any of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like the the actress that plays the uh, the scientist, the other doctor. Yeah, I can't um, remember her name. I don't know anybody's name. Um, but <laughs> but I, I think she delivers it well, and she she sells it. And I like the guy that plays Stuart as well. Ian Collier. He appears in Doctor Who later on. Oh, okay. again, I'll I'll leave that to be a surprise. Though. Oh, thank you, yeah. thank you. No spoilers. Yeah, um, yeah. and you know. Good old Benton. So, like, they make a decent a decent team mm-hmm. of three. And I knew ahead of time that Benton was going to be made a baby at some point. And I realized, yeah, that does sound ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But so far, it's fine. Like, it actually makes sense. They're fiddling around with time. They don't quite understand what they're doing. But they're trying to unfreeze the brig and, and the rest of the unit crew. So they're 
doing what they can. And it actually, I thought <laughs> when the effect happened to Benton, I was like, holy cow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you actually, were like, what's going on there? Yeah. yeah, it actually like caught me by surprise because it was a neat looking, I assume CSO based effect. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it looked really good. And then I was like, oh, right. Okay. Obviously he's being, you know, this, this is where he becomes a baby. Mm-hmm. So like they do a close up shot of a baby and I was like, okay story checks out like right now that everything is is making sense yes the chronos costume also still looks kind of ridiculous but guess what it's doctor who costumes look ridiculous (laughs) that's fine uh the master and the doctor sort of bantering back and forth pretty delightful like that's that's not bad the the master muting the doctor and talking about how he's going to come out because he needs to have the last word that's great that's a wonderful observation Mm -hmm. on the master's part because you know not entirely wrong um the doctor and Joe talking back and forth about whether he should go out there. Like, it, yeah, so far everything's fine. Like this, I'm not saying this is a great story or anything, but I am entertained by it. That's good. I mean, maybe that's why Liz likes it so much because she does, she realizes it's not the greatest story, but mm-hmm. but she is entertained by it. And at the end of the day, really, that's all you want from a Doctor Who story, right? That's the most important thing for yeah. me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like uh, Stu's wrench. Uh, he I picks up too. a wrench. <laughs> that's so great like that would be a wonderful (laughs) wonderful cosplay like he's just wearing basically kind of normal clothes but he's got this sort of semi oversized wrench (laughs) Uh and i just that would be really fun to just carry around a convention like i'm wearing fairly comfortable everyday civilian clothes you you know you'd have if you wanted to do that you'd have to grow your hair long again that's true and maybe put a fake uh, mustache on and get some 1972 clothes with the collars and stuff like that and just carry a big wrench and yep. go who are you I'm, obviously I'm Stu from the Time Monster episode 4 duh <laughs> yep yeah. mm-hmm. I, I like the uh, deep cut cosplay ideas <laughs> that's what watching Doctor Who is all about is. is finding those deep cuts um gives me an idea doesn't actually no <laughs> that's funny yeah um what else about this I have a couple of thoughts. Um, well, um, Paul Bernard directed this. Okay. This is his second of three stories that he directs for Doctor Who. Uh, the first time that he directs Doctor Who, he doesn't know that the cliffhanger sting is not actually part of the episode. Because when he does the reprises for episodes two and three, there's a cliffhanger sting of the day in the Day of the Daleks. So that was weird. Mm-hmm. This time around, the thing that he doesn't understand about Doctor Who is how to do TARDIS materializations. So what they do, there's two of them. Uh, one is less uh, noticeable than the other. Um, but when the Doctor sort of like does a, when he's in the TARDIS and he sort of like moves some switches and then both he and Katie Manning have to like stop and try to freeze and then they fade in a shot with the tar- with the Master's TARDIS in there. And it's quite clear that they have shifted mm-hmm. quite considerably since the first take of that. What they should have done and what they usually do by this point is put a little split screen effect mm-hmm. and have the left of it be fine. And then they just reveal the right hand with the TARDIS um, there. And maybe no one told them that's how they did it because it got messed up a little bit. I now that you mention it, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I guess I can remember that moment. I just thought it was, you know, the fact that the TARDIS is materializing around another TARDIS, mm-hmm. like that's that's why it looked, you know, a little weird and different because it's not something that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't bother me. <laughs> it bo- Listen, that and other instances of it bothered me the first time I saw this story, oh, and that is part of the reason why this story has never sat <laughs> with me very well. Because I thought you don't even know how to do the TARDIS materialization effect. What is wrong with this story? 
Wow, yeah. you your old school fanboy colors are coming out. <sighs> There's not much about Doctor Who that annoys me, mm-hmm. but if it's a improperly used uh, materialization effect, mm-hmm. that's on the very short list. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, it, whenever it comes time for me to watch this story again, I will mm-hmm. keep my eyes peeled in episode four and see if I actually <laughs> notice that right. in any way that matters to me. But I think I won't. It's odd in Colony in Space, Michael E. Bryan doesn't know how it works either and he just does a hard cut they don't dissolve in you think that would bug me yeah and it kind of does uh-huh. but um this bugs me more because it looks sloppy and amateurish and it forces your actors to sort of move and then try to freeze in spot like they're mimes and they can never stay perfectly so speaking of moving in the tardis yeah. i one of the scoff moments was just yeah. like this this story, like the thing that I think is to me the most annoying about it is the sort of like puerile humor. Yeah. Uh, you know, we still have Joe carrying around the penis shaped um, artist know, sniffer outer. Yeah, whatever it is. And uh, and then she falls and hurts her tailbone. And then the, both the doctor and the master have to use the word coccyx repeatedly, mm-hmm. which, yep, that is the that is the word yep. for the, the your tailbone. Um, but the way that it was done mm-hmm. was very clearly like I could practically hear the I don't know writer or whoever <laughs> snickering behind the camera because it just seemed ridiculous and very silly puerile one might even say I did say that yeah you did say that I thought so that's why it seemed so fresh in my mind thinking oh I got a great word for that puerile <laughs> wonder where I heard it most recently hmm I love you so much, you ridiculous you. I am ridiculous. Um, what else? Oh, I have an interesting bit of trivia for this. This It's so, kind of sad in a way. This is the last episode, I think. I hope it's not episode five. I think it's episode four. <laughs> this is the last episode where all the proper unit family people, Yates, Benton, Brigadier, Dr. Joe, Master, are all in the same episode. Wow. Yeah. I will be watching in the next episode to see if you are correct. Yeah. Um, but dang, that's uh, that feels massive and sort of momentous. Although I will say mm-hmm. that having now watching through the John Pertwee era, having sort of heard the term unit family and known about it, I feel like it's not as central to everything as I was sort of expecting. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are, there's a lot of not unity stuff <laughs> unity <laughs> stuff uh, that has ha- that has happened throughout this time and if this is the last time that they're actually technically all together um i think that it's one of those things where it has a bit of an outs- outsized impact on the sort of psyche of the doctor who viewer because it's so nice like it's just mm-hmm. you know it's delightful like these these characters and these actors all work together really really well but story for story pound for pound they're not necessarily like on screen together central to the plot as much as i was expecting it to be yeah i think that unit family really dates to season eight doesn't it apart from colony in space there's four stories that is all unit all master that's sort of what's happening and like this whole season we've had day of the daleks with unit and then we've had Curse of Peladon, and then we had Sea Devils with, you know, sort of pseudo-unit, and then we had the mutants, mm-hmm. and now we have this. They're barely in it, when you think about it. Yep. Yeah. That's that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Happens quickly, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Happens quickly. Sometimes the eras that you think are just forever, and they aren't at all. 
Although at the time, you know, this story took six whole weeks to air. Yep. So like it is a longer time. It's and when you, six weeks to watch it, too. I was just going to say, yeah, like how uh, how long has it been since we started this one? Yeah, yeah. we're uh, we're just doing this one in real time for whatever reason. Ish. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll watch the next two or one. I don't know. It is Thanksgiving after all. It It is Thanksgiving. But you have a puzzle in front of you that you want to get to. Well, there's a puzzle. Also, I have to work tomorrow and I have cramps. So, you know, I'd say TMI, but screw it. It's not. That's right. <laughs> it's a thing that happens to people and it sucks. That's right. Work that into your dialogue with Ruth and Stu and Benton, Robert <laughs> Sloman, if you want to really know what it's like. Um, well, I'm glad you're enjoying this this uh, this story, uh, 67% of the way through it. Yep. Yeah, I'm still real worried <laughs> about episodes yep. five and six. Yes. It's like, it's got to fall apart eventually, right? Because people really don't like the story and they, they say it's a mess and they say it's awful. And so far, I don't think it's a mess. Mm-hmm. I think everything, you know, it's maybe not the uh, tightest, pl- t- most tightly plotted plan, but this is the master we're talking about. They never are. That's true. I do find like this whole episode is essentially the doctor and the master just sort of playing tricks on each other mm-hmm. inside the TARDIS. It is it is very padded. <laughs> it's a lot of padding. But as long as you're entertained. Uh, I, I just want to say like yeah. the words classic Doctor Who, colon, a lot of padding. That's true. Like that's I the, I have no problem with padding. That's good. I like it. That's true. You watch ten episode Netflix series that could probably be five episodes and seem to enjoy it the same way. So yeah, well, I grew up on classic Doctor Who, so <laughs> this is I I like I like things to breathe. I like characters to interact with each other yeah. and just have some fun. I don't mind running through corridors. I don't mind being. Uh, being trapped mm-hmm. and then escaping and then getting trapped again and then escaping and right. like this is that just feels like the I don't know it's the way Doctor Who should be so so trapping a TARDIS within another TARDIS within another TARDIS like mm-hmm. that's freaking cool who are you that doesn't like that I mean I thought it was neat and it actually looks good mm-hmm. not Christopher H. Bidbead I bet you if you watched this you probably would have thought Doctor Who wasn't uh, taking a wrong direction <laughs> like he did in season 17 before he took over a script editor for season 18 because this is right up his alley yeah yeah I was getting you know total Legopolis yeah. vibes mm-hmm. when I was watching this but then reminding myself no this came first yes, so it's did. not like you know not ripping anything off here so yeah. just just is doing it so the idea and yeah, what a mind-bending idea that the Doctor's TARDIS is inside the Master's TARDIS, which is inside the Doctor's TARDIS, which is just like... I know. Had I seen this as a kid, I probably would have like adored this story yeah. just for that concept alone. And then you see the materialization effect and I just thought, <laughs> that's all out the window now. I was on board. Then I had to watch John Pertwee and Katie Manning pretend to be standing still for 10 seconds while they faded in. So that's it. You had me. You had me briefly. And then I'm out. Alas. Mm-hmm. Can't win them all. Well, onwards and upwards. Or downwards, perhaps, the case <laughs> we, may be. I guess we'll see. We will see on the next episode of Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. Goodbye. Goodbye.